Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. turning to the book of Ruth here tonight. Amen. Thank God for safe travels to and from. Thank God for 32 invites last week. And that brings us to 134 since this all started. And so we're appreciative of that. Amen. And so that just live with clear conscience and no regrets as a result. Amen. Ruth, we're going to go chapter number one. Amen. Thankful to Lord what he did at Women's Esprit Conference on the coast, coast-to-coast conference. I was, I was able to be a part of most of it, although I wasn't a woman. I was sitting over in the, sitting over in the corner amen. somewhere. They called us the Amen Corner <laughs> to help set up and tear down. And The first night during song service, three people got the Holy Ghost. A set of twins and one lady that got the Holy Ghost. Uh, Brother Jones's church. There's a lady there in his church that was in New York. Best friend lives there. While she was in New York, she taught her a Bible study or a friend, a, her daughter, her best friend's daughter, a Bible study. And so her best friend's daughter then came all the way to Las Vegas for this conference and got the Holy Ghost. And so. Uh, it works. It works. And then on Sunday, we baptized the set of twins. And then a different lady, girl, got baptized in Jesus' name too, then on Sunday. And so that's awesome. So it was worth every mile, every expense, all of that for someone to be born into the kingdom of God. Amen. Worth every bit of it. Amen. And so, so happy about that. Ruth chapter number one. I'm going to read verses 19 through 22, the, uh, the other verses that we have here within chapter 1. We'll look at them here this evening. <clears throat> and the Bible says in verse 19, So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest for a little while tonight under this umbrella i want to talk to you about suitable for harvest suitable for harvest also want to give thanks to uh brother mason and brother zach amen for covering on sunday i've heard i'm 50 percent i've heard one out of the two amen so i've not yet got the other one yet but uh thankful for the lord amen using them and them amen being here and everyone else that has helped uh, in our absence. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come to you this evening. I pray, O oh Lord, that you're able to help us, Lord, in this service, God, as we learn of you. God, your word become alive, Lord, in our lives. God, perhaps some truths, Lord, that we can apply or learn from God for Lord Jesus, our Lord future, God, our here and now even, perhaps. I pray, God, that we'll give you the glory, God, for what we take away from this tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Suitable for harvest. Last week, last week we concluded last week by looking at the determination and the dedication. We called it uh, commitment goes the distance, the commitment that Ruth vowed, not only to her mother-in-law, Naomi, but also to God. Uh, whenever she said that her God would be her God. So she's vowing, of course, to Ruth, but she is also making a commitment to the Lord with saying that. And so 
what Ruth did in this moment, of course, is not something that she did rashly. It wasn't something that she was just, uh, you know, just winging it or from the hip, making a choice or decision. She didn't do this rashly. And uh, we soon see as the Ruth story continues that it was not something that she did just impromptu or rashly. But this was a pledge, as we looked at last week, that extended beyond her present into her future. When you say, uh, where you die, I'll die, and that's where I'll be buried, that's looking beyond the here and now. And so it extended well into the future. And Naomi, as we looked at last week, relentlessly tried a few different times, uh, attempted to get Ruth to turn back, go back to her home, her people, her gods, until, until... Naomi understood that Ruth was dedicated, stubborn-minded, thick-headed, whatever you want to call it, amen. She, she continued until she understood that Ruth meant what she said. And so when we start in verse number 19, that the Bible says that so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. It's important that we take that statement right there and set it right next to another statement that was in the beginning of this trip that we read of in verse number 6 that says, Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. When you hear the intention of they might or she might along with her daughter-in-law's return and you put that next to the idea so they too uh, went until they came unto Bethlehem, it's important to put those together, especially when we understand that Ruth said, I'm going all the way, I'm going to be there with you. Taking that in consideration as well, looking at this phrase in verse number 19 is important because it gives credence to Ruth's words. It gives credence to her vow about going with her mother-in-law. Amen. Because it's one thing for you to have a good intention. It's one thing to say that you're going to do something, and it's quite another thing to do what you said you was going to do. And so that is the scenario with Ruth. Not only do I make a pledge, but I hold to it. Not only do I make a vow, but I keep it. Can someone say amen? amen. If you'll just give me a moment here. I'm on low power mode here in this uh, iPad of mine, and I need to just switch this battery over so that it doesn't quit, keep making my screen dim. All right? You know, I know Eli's eyes grew dim, but my screen's going dim. Air, the lamp in the temple will go out or something. So, But nonetheless, <clears throat> so, so when we consider these things, there is a progression of intention in Ruth chapter number one. If you'll follow me along, you'll see it tonight. There's a progression of intention that goes from intention to follow through. In verse number six, again, and this is kind of restating, but Naomi and the girls, I'm going to call them, I guess, for now, that they might return from the country of Moab. Then in verse number seven, the Bible says, they, meaning all of them, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. So they might, now they started their journey. In verse number 10, it says, we, meaning both girls, Orpah and Ruth, we will return with thee. That was the voice of both of them. In verse number 14, but Ruth clave under her we've lost somebody uh, along the way now in verse 16 Ruth says entreat me not to leave thee there's this progression then verse 19 that I've read to you so they again meaning Naomi and Ruth too went until they came into Bethlehem so you see the progression uh, of intentions in the beginning we lost somebody along the way amen and then two are the ones that finally made the trip and that is so, so uh, indicative of life lived for the Lord because there are masses and a mass of people at times that intend to return from Moab, that intend to return from Moab. But in my experience and the experience even of the Bible, the numbers lessen of those who actually make the trip until they reach Bethlehem. 
Again, we started with three, we ended with two. This is a similar scenario, amen, for people following the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in the New Testament as well. People that want to live out their lives as believers or followers of the Lord. Uh, T.F. Tenney years ago said this, and I quote, he said, Jesus fed 5,000, but only 500 followed him after lunch. He had 12 disciples, but only three went further into the garden, and only one, which was we believe is John, stood with him at the cross. He said, the closer you get to the cross, the smaller the crowd becomes. And so there's this truncated funnel, as it seems, that those that start and those that finish. And you say, oh, Brother McGee, well, from my understanding of Scripture, that's the way it's going to be. Many are called, few are chosen. The gate is, the, 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 the way is narrow. The gate, it's straight and narrow is the terminology, not wide and broad. Amen. And so Orpah and Ruth, though, when we look at these two and having lost one of them along the way, Orpah and Ruth, I think it's important to denote that in however long they traveled with Naomi, that both of them had the same opportunities to turn back or to follow. It's not as though one had a leg up on the other concerning this journey, but they both had the same privileges, if you will, experienced the same things, and here we are. That makes me think of another passage of Scripture in the book of Acts that is always just startling to me. When I read Acts 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now there were in the church... That was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simon that was called Niger and Lucius of Serene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. What I want to point to you here in Acts chapter number 13 and verse 1 is this individual called Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, because the Herod the Tetrarch it's speaking of is Herod Antipas, which was the one which was the executor of John the Baptist, the one that had his head put on a charger. We have Manaen and Herod that was brought up together. One is the executor of John the Baptist. The other one is one that tried through his lifetime to stay faithful to the Lord. That being the case, both these individuals being brought up together, they've had the same settings in some regards, same experiences and opportunities, but each of them went in the opposite direction, one from the other. One found themselves in the church, while the other found themselves in the world opposing the church. Similar things have happened throughout the Bible. We see these pairings in Scripture. You have the Cains and the Abels. Same upbringing, same exposure. One bringing his sacrifice and the other one in due process of time bringing it and one getting mad and envious of the other of what they brought. They diverge then in their paths of lives. Cain ends up killing his brother. He's a vagabond going here and there and he can never get the groundwork for him like it once did. These diversions, Abraham and Lot. Huh? Relatives on the same journey from Ur, Chaldees on their way to Canaan, but there's a diversion. One is pitching his tent towards Sodom while the other one is staying faithful to God. The Jacob and the Esau's shared the same womb. Huh? Come forth, have the same mother and father and teachings and instructions, so on and so forth, right? One, of course, ends up being, uh, if you will, of Edom. Uh, one is Jacob who's going to come back home and be a perpetuator of, of the Israelites and, and, and so on and so forth. Judas and the rest of the, the apostles, right? We have this pairing together, same experiencing. As a matter of fact, when speaking of Judas in Acts 1.17, Peter said, for he, speaking of Judas, was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. You know what Peter is saying? Judas was one of us. Huh? Judas was one of us. He was chosen to be an apostle just like we were. He, he sat at the same feet of Jesus like we did. Heard the same teachings. Was at some of the same prayer meetings. 
Because that's how he knew that's where the Lord would be at Gethsemane because oftentimes he went there, had the same experiences that we did. He was one of us. And so what that should do for all of us is be a very sobering statement for the disciples and even for us whenever they even go, went to replace Judas with a, another disciple, someone to fulfill his role and his place. He's wanting them to understand when you think of Judas and you think of what he did, his betrayal toward the Lord, just remember he was one of us. And he was destined for the same purpose like all of us were, yet he's not among us now. And what that means is this. Everybody can have the same exposure to the same things, same teachings, and there can be some that kiss and leave and others that cleave and stay. It's not that anybody had a leg up on the other. It's not that anybody had a leg up on the other. Jesus washed both, all of their feet. Huh? He washed all of their feet. But Judas betrayed the Lord when he sought opportunity to do so. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent, and I say this. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's not a fail-safe, but I'm saying the odds, I think the odds are increased or perhaps in our favor when a person is living for the Lord, I, I believe the odds of a person living for the Lord is increased or it, it's helped by being raised in the church. What I'm saying is I think you're set up in a proper position environment to be exposed to some very meaningful things. If you latch on to them and pull them in close to your bosom, you are in good, you are in a good place. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, Fred, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's a fail-safe thing, but someone that has fire alarms in their house and maybe an extinguisher and something like that might. I'm, just, I'm not saying it's fail-safe. I'm just saying their likelihood might just be a little better because of what they have in their surroundings. Huh? Might be helped, but it's not sure. But what is for sure when we talk about the church and God, the determining factor still resides within the person. They have a choice. They have a choice. It's not going to be made for them. They got to make it for themselves. Orpah chose to return home. Ruth chose to stay. They had the same experience. Some choose, some won't. With that being said tonight, I say this, that a person's environment, a person's heritage, you can put whatever you want into that blank, but a person's environment will not exempt them from being lost, but nor will it prevent them from being saved. Because it's a choice. Amen? And so, Menaean becomes a herald for the Lord. He's brought up with Harold or Herod, not Harold. <laughs> He's brought up with Herod. But Herod is one that's executing someone that's preaching about the Lord. So it doesn't boil down to an environment. It boils down to a choice. Because here's, you hear things sometimes. You're exposed to things. Don't think for a moment that those who make it never had a chance to turn back. Because sometimes I hear, well, it was slanted and they just, you know, blah, 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 blah. But they came and was a part of the same church I was a part of, heard the same teaching I heard, the same conviction that fell in the house when I was there, they were there. So don't think for a moment because someone makes it, then they just wasn't it. They, they never had a chance to turn back. They did. They just made a choice not to. Maybe more than once they made a choice not to. Their, their road wasn't easier because... There, there were no temptations. Their road was, quote, unquote, easier because they were sowed out. If you want to... The way of a transgressor is... And so there is this stir. This is why I don't get through many verses. And there is a stir among the city about Naomi and Ruth coming to Bethlehem. And let's just be practical about it for a moment. 
If you left Mount Carmel for 10 or so years and came back, being a small city as this is, there'd probably be a little stir maybe about you coming home. What I'm saying, if anybody's been gone for a period of time, come back and it's like, yeah, wow, is that them? You know? And maybe part of the stir was, hey, where's your husband? Where's the boys? Right? And then, who is this? <laughs> I'm just saying, you traded three for one. <laughs> What's, you know, what, I mean, just on the real practical side, not only who is this, but they, they don't recognize her and uh, they can probably begin deducing through certain things that she's a non-Jew. And so there's a notice. And so there is a stir among the city. The Bible calls, says that the city was moved. The city was moved about them. And you can read into that. You could uh, speculate, but whenever you talk about something being moved about them, that could be interpreted either positively or negatively. There, there could be a move or a stir because people was murmuring, gossiping, you know, about, you know, type thing. Or it could be that the word move can also mean this, a great noise of ringing again, like a celebration due to the arrival. So that could go either direction. And I think there's, there's a two-edged sword to the meaning of the word moved here in the scripture because people respond both ways. Huh? People respond both ways when someone estranged comes back home. It's no different than what we found. And we, I, I do this, you know, through the book of Ruth because it's, it seems so similar. Naomi leaving a place she knew uh, that she should have stayed at but then comes back home is so, so uh, in line with the prodigal that when we go to Luke chapter 15, we see some of the same thing uh, taking place there as he, whenever he returns, verse 24 of Luke 15 tells us, and they began to be merry, right? The Bible describes that there was music and there was dancing, yet on the other side we have the elder son where the Bible says he's angry. So you have music and dancing and merriment, and then on the other hand you have anger. Both parties were moved. Both parties were stirred over the, the arrival of the prodigal son coming back home. But let's just be honest. Let's just be honest with ourselves. People that leave and then come back, they're probably not going to come back in the same condition that they left. On a real practical level, let's just be real practical, you leave Brother Malone for 10 years, you're not going to be the same person that you were 10 years ago. You might still be the bubbly Malone, but let's be practical. You're going to have aged. I'm, I know people probably tell you, you just don't age a bit. They're lying to you. I don't know if you get up every morning and look in the mirror, but 10 years ago, you didn't look like you look right now. Now, someone, you go and accept everybody telling you, you haven't aged a bit. You just say, oh, you better say bless of Jesus real big. But they're probably not going to come in the same condition. Naomi, evidently, after this period of time, didn't. The prodigal didn't. John G. Butler said it like this. I loved it so much whenever I read this. And this is a direct quote from him. He said, Naomi left Bethlehem to escape a famine, but came back home looking like she had been in a famine. Amen. And so, yes, it may not be the same. But I am also reminded that while that may be true, uh, it doesn't have to stay that way. I'm not talking about practical. I'm talking about spiritual. It doesn't have to stay that way. I'm reminded of a sermon that uh, Bishop J.H. Osborne preached probably a thousand times all over the world uh, entitled, You Don't Look Like What You've Been Through. And he tells the story in Luke chapter number 17 of the 10 lepers that go. And he tells them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. And there was only one that returned to the Lord uh, to worship. And the Bible says that he was made whole. 
And as a result of that, if there, you know, uh, leprosy affects the, 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 the nerve endings of your body where you lose your sensation of feeling. And so uh, as a result of that, infection and stuff can get into your extremities. You don't feel no pain, so you just don't do anything about it. And so lepers, it was an uncommon for lepers to lose ears and noses and fingers and stuff as a result of their leprosy. And so all those guys that's gone and being cleansed of leprosy, they still might have a few digits gone or a few toes off their foot. But the one that came back into the presence of the Lord to worship was made whole. That meant it was restored to a former state. The fingers were back. Whatever was lost was restored, meaning that he may have been a leper, but he doesn't look like he'd been a leper. He doesn't look like what he's been through because he had time that he spent in the presence of the Lord. And so what I'm telling you, when they come back from where they've been, they might not look the same, but it doesn't have to stay that way. They, huh? Naomi, the end of your story doesn't have to be call me Mara. Huh? The end of your story doesn't have to be call me bitter. All the scars and things that you may have sustained while you've been in Moab, you, you can not only be cleansed, you can be healed, you can be made whole. Amen. You can be made whole, Naomi, to the place, to the place that it might look like you never even left. I've seen it. I've seen people that they would have to tell you their story to believe that they even had a story because once they came back to God, they looked so much like a 1957 Pentecostal in every way, shape, and form. You would never know that they ever left God. Why? Because God has a way of restoring you back to a place and position like you never left. Amen. He has the ability to do it. He has the ability to do it. He has the ability to alter all these things. And in the end, the same Naomi, in the end, and that would be all the way chapter 4, okay? We're not there yet. But in the end, Naomi, the woman who said, the Lord has afflicted me, the Lord has testified against me, and I'm embittered over that, the woman that said that will have women speaking of this same woman that says she's blessed of the Lord and the Bible says she'll receive some things that will be a restorer is the wording of scripture a restorer of her life folks that sounds like a woman who against all odds has betrayed what she's been through loss of husband loss of sons and trip and years spent in Moab what's going on Naomi oh I've had a restorer of life to me amen people's now saying bless the Lord has blessed that lady when I showed up I said in he's testified against me but now someone's saying he's testifying for me but amen God can do it God can do it and they say is this Naomi is this Naomi we could read all types of things into that again but she's probably changed practically no doubt has changed in other ways her disposition evidently her spirit right her personality, she, it, it's clouded by other things, right? Because she claims that she left Bethlehem. Basically, this is what she's claiming. I left Bethlehem as one person. I'm coming back as somebody different. Because she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi is from an adjective meaning pleasant, lovely. Thus, don't call me the pleasant one. Don't call me the lovely one. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. That's great, isn't it? Call me bitterness. Because that's how Naomi felt. Call me how I feel. Because I feel like God has dealt bitterly with me. Mara and Mara. M-A-R-A and M-A-R-A-H. Mara and Mara both are bitter. The first time we come across Mara with the H is in Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, it's we come across these waters that the nation of Israel came upon after passing through the Red Sea. After through the Red Sea, three days shortly of being in the wilderness, they come to the waters of Mara. So Mara and Mara, with the H without the H, are, are, are words that are related. Again, bitter. I don't know if it was chosen purposely by a writer here or not, but what I do know is this, that though Naomi may share a similar bitterness with Mara with the H. 
her future is bright if she's going to share the end of those water stories as well. I don't know if the author was doing that on purpose. They both start out bitter. But the waters of Marah, Exodus chapter number 15, three days the nation of Israel is in the wilderness. They, find, they can find no water, for one. They pass through water, for one. <laughs> then they can't find any water. And then the waters they come to is not fit for drinking. And so Israel begins to murmur and complain. And God gives Moses the answer, which was bizarre. Take this tree and throw it into the waters. And the Bible says it made the bitter waters sweet for drinking. And so the waters became sweetened, of course, as with almost anything that happens in our lives, by God's grace. But the fact of the matter is since Naomi is saying, call me Mara, which is very similar to the Mara with the H, related words, could it be that there's also going to be a much better end, not bitter end, a better end, amen, for Naomi, and yes, it is. Amen, God's fixing to turn her bitter water sweet as well. But for now, where we're at for now, that's in the future, for now, Naomi, the Bible speaks to us, went out full, is the scripture, and was brought home empty. Naomi says that she returned empty. Now, I don't know what your definition of empty is. But to me, Naomi returns empty. She has absolutely nothing. She has absolutely nothing. So she tells them, I came home empty. I'm here empty. I don't have absolutely nothing. And there stands in the shadows this good old daughter-in-law, Ruth. Naomi's faced some legitimate pain, absolutely. But her pain has caused some self-absorption here to the point that she's excluded who's been with her all along this trip from Moab to Bethlehem, Judah. I, I come home empty. Here's little Ruth over here. God bless her heart. Put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a moment. I don't have anything. I started traveling with you from the go. I stayed with you when others left. But here's Ruth. And when we think of Ruth, it's not like she necessarily had the sweetest cup of tea either, has she? She suffered loss too. She's been beside her mother-in-law on this road. She's forsaken family, her native land, her gods, right? Her lodging place, her securities for this trip. She's been there every step of the way. And yet Naomi's saying, I claim emptiness. And that seems to be the way it is. And I'm, I'm going to turn to Counselor Paul here for a moment. Because sometimes emotional pain can paint us into a box where we believe no one else has ever suffered but us. It can turn us very inward to the exclusion of everybody else, even people that are closest to us. I'll tell you my spin on this just Today, I thought about this from just a very practical standpoint. I'm convinced that Naomi is still in a grieving process. She's a grieving mother. She is a grieving wife. And her attempt to rid herself of the company of Orpah and Ruth on this trip back home was her attempt to avoid being around people that would remind her of her sons, which was her losses. Because this is, this is absolutely real world stuff. People that suffer grief sometimes, the reason why the room never changes, or they never want to be around friends that those people were friends with, it's because when they are, the association reminds them of their loss. So I'm convinced we have a greedy mom and wife here. She don't want those two daughter-in-laws because they were married to her sons. And as long as they're there, she's going to constantly be reminded of what's no longer there. Hmm. So she's, she's, she's managing this, this avoidance so well, so well, 
that Naomi, in reality, traveled the trip alone emotionally. And the reason why I say that is in verse 18, when she saw that Ruth was steadfastly minded, the Bible says that she left speaking to Ruth, or she left speaking unto her. In other words, I couldn't get rid of her, but I am going to withdraw myself emotionally because conversation stirs up feelings. I'm going to withdraw myself. We're going to travel, but I don't have to be emotionally involved on this trip. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to remove myself emotionally and travel this trip emotionally alone. Studies have shown that a person prolonging what they call acute grieving, the acute grieving period, can develop what's called complicated grief. And in complicated grief is where a person can experience recurrent distressing emotions. Naomi is so, so that's the reason why we come to the town and she says, I'm empty. She's so absorbed in her pain and her loss that she doesn't give any acknowledgement to the Ruth that has been there all along. Because Naomi's like this, and you read it in the scriptures as she goes through her little, uh, her little speech here. And she's just kind of like, you know, this is my life. I'm back, you know, terrible and disasters upon me. <laughs> no we in there. Ruth's over here, you know, kind of like the parsley on the plate. Right? Verse 22, though, tells us, when we read tonight, verse 22 tells us that Naomi returned and Ruth with her. So what I'm saying tonight, suppose you have suffered loss here this evening. Say, Brother McGee, no one's died lately. Death isn't the only loss there is. It could be, uh, it could be your position at a job. It could be about finances. It could be friendships or different relationships that you had with people, and the list can go on. It could be a dog. It could be a normal routine that's changed up. That's a loss. I feel like a little grief and loss counseling here tonight. What I'm saying is this. In the moment of all of that, I'm here to tell you that there are Ruths in your life who are not willing to let you walk your road alone though you're not emotionally connecting with anybody around you. They're there, and here's the fact. Naomi could have spoke to Ruth. It just says that she left off speaking. She could because she was there. And there are people within your circles that are there. They're not going to press themselves. But if you need them, you can talk to them and you don't have to be closed mouth because here's the fact, they've had some losses in their life too. And they're not there to compare their loss with your loss. They're just there to go with you during your loss. Okay, back to Preacher Paul. Naomi says, I went out. And note the scripture, please. Note it. I went out, verse 21, I went out. She does not say, I went out and I returned home. She says, I went out, the Lord has brought me. I went out, I went out, but the Lord brought me home. She says, I went out full. Naomi is absolutely identifying and owning, I'm the one that left. No one made me leave. Huh? I know her husband, no doubt the urgent, but in reality, nobody made her leave. She didn't get her, let me say it like, she didn't get hurt at Bethlehem Judah and left as a result. <laughs> I'm trying to bring it a little modern day. She didn't, nobody, another saint didn't hurt her and she left. Oh God, help me Jesus real hard right now. She left the house of bread. I went out. But now, note the statement, the Lord has brought me home. Anybody that ever leaves, if they ever show up, it will be because 
the Lord has, because it is the repeated story of comebacks. You say, well, they, they, they decide to come back to the Lord. I get that, but God brought them home. Naomi says, I might return unto Bethlehem of Judah too, and she made the trip. But God was pulling on a heart. God was pulling on the heartstrings. If they ever show up, it'll be because God has brought them home. It's more than a decision they make, and it's more than just a made-up mind of theirs. Scripture tells us that there is that drawing of the Spirit of the Lord that draws them back to where they need to be. Jesus said that no man comes unto me except the Father, amen, which is the Spirit, which hath sent me, except he draw them. Nobody comes to me unless there's a drawing of the Spirit. I know they make this choice and this decision, but listen, folks, we are where we are today because he first loved us first John said we, we didn't have the ability even to show affection or love toward him had he not first loved us and so the essence is this if we ever come home it's because the Lord hath brought us home he, Jesus said you've not chosen me he says I have chosen you what are you saying he's saying your choice would be invalid if I never chose you to begin with you, you didn't have a choice unless I gave you a choice the Lord hath brought them home and God does that. He walks, he walks in concert with us as our will matches his will. Hmm? He's like, I'm going to fan the flames of somebody that's walking after my will. Huh? Philippians 2.13, he says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says, I'm going to fan the flames of this. She has a mind of returning home. She has a mind of the trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Naomi understands this. The Lord hath brought me. I went, but the Lord, the Lord didn't kick me out. I went, but he's the one that's brought me home. And she came home empty. And that seems to be the condition of each person that returns home. Empty. Again, our prodigal, he's at wit's end and home appeals to him when he gets on empty. Luke 15 and verse 16, the Bible says, and he, speaking of the prodigal, would fain or desire to have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. And so we, some of us know the story, but if you look at the verses prior to those that I read to you in Luke 15, the prodigal wasted his substance outside of the father's care in a far country. He spent, the Bible says, all that he had the famine then came upon the land. The Bible says he was in want, all right? He joined himself, Scripture says, to a citizen, someone from that country, and he went to work feeding swine. Now, listen, uh, this is what we got to realize when it talks about him joining himself to someone of that country and he's feeding swine. Jesus, of course, here is telling a parable. He's telling a parable primarily for the scribes and the, 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 the Pharisees who's talking about Jesus being eaten and, and fellowshipping with the, the publicans and the sinners. And so the scribes and the Pharisees kind of raise their hand over uh, the Lord doing this. And so he starts this parable then about the, 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 the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons and all this stuff. And so whenever he does this, this is how it works in real day. If someone is telling you a story and relaying to you a story and they're not giving you details about nationality, race, or anything concerning the person, you know what you do? You believe whoever the story's being told about is someone that's just like you. I'm just saying it's typical. Unless there's things there that set it off. Otherwise, it's typical. So what I'm saying, when they're talking about a son and a father being sent away, these Jews are primarily probably thinking that this is a Jewish family. So when it says then that this boy hits up with someone of another country and they're feeding swine, swine's a no-no for the Jews. It is an unclean animal. 
So they're seeing someone that they're picturing as themselves joining up with somebody that is evidently non-Jew, practicing non-Jewish laws, non-Jewish purposes. What's wrong with this person? Huh? They are feeding swine. But then it goes a little further. And then not only did he join himself to a non-Jew, he got so low that he fed the swine and wanted to eat what the swine ate. Folks, what these people are seeing at this moment in time is somebody that is absolutely slap empty. Hmm? Wasted, wanted, famine, joined himself someone that wasn't a Jew and is in the swine thing that they were not supposed to be around, touch or involve themselves in. This guy is empty and the Bible puts a little insult to injury and says, and no man gave to him. And then, everybody say then. And then this man comes to himself. Realizing that the servants of his father have it better right now than the father's son was settling for. The servant at this moment had it better than the son at this moment. Sometimes you got to come to the end of where you are for God to bring you back where you need to be. That's the reason why there's parents out here and other people out here praying over certain people saying, God, whatever it takes. You know what they're saying? Drain them till they're empty. Drain them till they're empty. Why? Because when you don't have anything else to lose, when you don't have anything else to lose, you realize you got to get back to where you were. You got to get back to the Father's house. You got to get back to that place. Amen. In God. And so when we consider our story, and I'm, I'm hastening to a close, but when we look at our story, our story opens with a famine. Our story opens with a departure from Bethlehem, Judah. But whenever this thing all gets wrapped up and ends and the final, you know, word is spoken in Ruth, it will be the story, amen, where someone returned and the story that has been months of harvest, open with famine and with a departure and it's ending with a return and with harvest. And folks, that is good news for Naomi. There is no better news than in the closing phrase of chapter number one where the Bible says that they came to Bethlehem in the beginning everybody say the beginning in the beginning of barley harvest you know what that means that the harvest season at this time was just starting and I'm not just talking about barley harvest there'd be barley harvest then there's going to be wheat harvest they just came home whenever harvest is starting they just came home and we're going to look at it in the next few weeks whenever the corners of the field are not going to be reaped and that's for all of those that are widows and they just came home when all the provisions are going to be as they're, they're going and they're picking the sheaves and somebody dropped one he's not to turn around and pick it back up he's to leave it for the fatherless and the widows they just came home when all of that's going home whenever they're coming to a place when they don't have no food that they brought with them they just came home when there's food going to be in the field just for them stand with me there's no better time to come home than at the time of harvest. And you say, Brother McGee, why'd you call this suitable for harvest? I'll tell you why. Because Naomi had to get empty. She had to get empty. She had to just come to a spot where there was nothing else for her. And that made her then suitable for this time of harvest, and I'm playing on the word in two directions. Harvest, no doubt, for her to supply for her and her mother-in-law, but for harvest, also for her being brought back home. She's suitable for it, because as we say, she scraped the bottom of the barrel. She's suitable for it. Suitable, so suitable. Because as long as sometimes people have some of the life together, you know what? Sometimes they don't need God at that point. Because they are controllers of their own destiny. They got this thing whipped. They have the job. They have the money. They have the car. They have the marriage. They got it all together. And so we just take God and we kind of, you know, take it. We take him out of the picture. 
But when you don't have all of that, you know what? People start thinking about creator of the universe and even agnostics, people that claim atheists, whenever life is totally all over for them, they start thinking maybe there is a higher power. But sometimes we got to get empty in order to get full. I will say this. There are a lot of times we got to get empty of the wrong things, deplete the wrong things, in order to be filled with the right things. Some walking around half full, three quarters full, quarter full, because the other part of them has all this other stuff in their life. We're just filling up, we're filling up remainders. We're just filling up what's left. God wants to deplete you and then fill you. Yeah. And sometimes that takes a Moab. Sometimes that takes loss. Sometimes that takes moments of just being totally emotionally distraught and thinking you're going to lose your ever-living mind. To, as David said, in my distress I cried unto the Lord. What happened, David? I'm empty. Well, you're just suitable for harvest. Let's bow our heads in this place. Father, I come to you tonight. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the story of Ruth. I thank you, Lord, for its principles and its precepts, God, that it teaches us. God, I pray, oh, Lord, you would help us this evening. God, minister to people, Lord, in this place. God, perhaps some, Lord, experience loss on some level, Lord, with some amount. God, maybe they are emotionally pulling into themselves, Lord, and the roofs alongside them. They are, Lord, virtually ignoring and not acknowledging, Lord. God, they're traveling, Lord, a road, God, that they need not have to travel on their own or by themselves. God, emotionally, I pray, oh God, today. God, minister, Lord Jesus, tonight. God, to those, Lord, that have the same environments, the same choices, the same opportunities. God, and yet some are leaving and some are cleaving. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, prick us in our... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.